Hi, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, episode 259. Before we start, I'd like to thank the one and only Sohan D'Souza for supporting the show through Patreon. Well, I guess technically there might be other people named Sohan D'Souza in the world, but you're definitely my favorite. Uh, seriously, thank you very much, sir. It's great, greatly appreciated. And of course, a big thanks to everyone else who supports the show through Patreon as well. You fill me with gratitude and warm the proverbial cockles of my heart. Cockles. Anyone ever hear cockles used outside of that saying or idiom? What the hell is a cockle anyway? Uh, apparently they're ventricles, and it comes from cochlea, meaning snail, due to their shape. Less than a minute in, and we've already learned something. Man, this episode's starting off on a weird leg. But uh, speaking of Patreon, I finally got around to releasing some new bonus content. It's basically me watching The Exorcist and providing commentary. Now, that might sound a little strange uh, for a Patreon perk, but if you're a longtime listener, then you've probably heard me talk about The Exorcist numerous times. Saw it as a kid, it pretty much scarred me for life. Nevertheless, or maybe in part due to that fact, I'm kind of obsessed with it. So I thought that since it is the Halloween season, why not kick back, watch it, and share my reaction with you Patreon peeps? Did I just say peeps? What the hell is wrong with me? Now I'm thinking of marshmallow peeps, the candy corn flavored ones dipped in white chocolate. Love those things. So if you're a Patreon supporter, you can find the link to the download by going to patreon.com slash theweekindoubt. The link will take you to a cloud storage site where you can download the file for free. I apologize for not being able to provide a more convenient way to watch the video. Patreon has a 200 megabyte direct upload limit, and the file is well over a gigabyte. I did attempt to put it up on YouTube with the intent of then sharing the unlisted link via Patreon, but even though it was unlisted, it still got blocked worldwide for copyright infringement. Um, it, it was almost immediate. And it is in that weird kind of gray area. I'm commenting on it and even added some still images, which I guess makes it somewhat transformative. But in fairness to the copyright holder, Warner Brothers in this case, it, it still pretty much includes the whole movie in its entirety. Uh, but in fairness to myself, it's not like I was trying to steal or profit off of their content. I just pretty much want to do something fun for my Patreon supporters. My patrons obviously do support me monetarily, which perhaps ethically complicates the matter, rewarding financial supporters with copyrighted material, transformative or not. But there was and is no additional charge to access or download the file in question. I've seen other content creators offer similar rewards, uh, but I don't fault Warner Brothers. It's their content. But anyway, so this episode is entitled Pazuzu and MythCon. And this is where Pazuzu comes in. You know me in corrections. Well, I think I may have referred to good old Pazuzu as being of Sumerian or Babylonian origin. I should have just stuck to describing him as Mesopotamian. Because technically, although associated with ancient Sumerian myth... 
it seems the figure of Pazuzu didn't really emerge until the later Assyrian period, so it's more correct to describe him as an Assyrian or Assyrio-Babylonian deity and not Sumerian. It gets a bit confusing because ancient Mesopotamia was kind of this bouillabaisse base of uh, nations and empires. First you had the Sumerians, then the Akkadians, the Babylonians, and then the Assyrians. The Akkadians onward were influenced by Sumerian culture, and I believe the Sumerian language, even after it fell out of common use in favor of Akkadian, was still used for literary and religious or ceremonial purposes up until about the first century AD or CE. So Pazuzu, drinking game word of the week, may not have emerged until the Assyrian period, but he was described as being associated with older mythical figures. Specifically, he was said to be the brother of Humbaba, kind of a funny word, sometimes pronounced or spelled Humwawa, <laughs> even funnier, the monstrous guardian of the cedar forest in the Babylonian epic of Gilgamesh. And I believe the god Hanbi or Hanpa is said to be the father of Pazuzu and Humbaba, but I guess there's not much known about him, and he may be a later invention too, for all I know. So who the heck is Pazuzu, and why am I talking about him? He's sometimes referred to as a demon, but I guess technically he's a deity, although in fairness he is said to be the king of the demons of the wind or air, and he is depicted as having a rather demonic appearance, but god or demon, he's thought of as being an evil or malevolent entity. Associated with the southwest wind, storms, drought, sometimes sickness and plague, uh, sometimes actually protecting against these things. Pazuzu amulets were used to ward off or turn away evil. I think the fancy term is apotropaic magic. As the Middle Eastern man working with Father Merrin in The Exorcist says when he picks up a small sculpted Pazuzu head discovered during a dig, Evil against evil. Most notably, Pazuzu was said to ward off his rival, the demon goddess Lamashtu, who posed a threat to children and women in labor. Um, she sounds a bit like Lilith in that regard, Adam's first wife in ancient Jewish mythology or folklore. But anyway, back on track. So yeah, The Exorcist, both the novel and the film version, seem to insinuate that the entity that possesses Ragan McNeil, the young girl in the story, is Pazuzu. A friend and YouTube viewer that I shared that bonus content with responded by saying something to the effect that the author never intended it to be Pazuzu that possesses the girl. It was an unknown demon Marin exercised years before in Africa. Well, I'm pretty sure this person is a self-hating Italian and they're contradicting me just because of my surname. Kidding, obviously. But in seriousness, I don't know if they were reading some of the same stuff I found online. There seemed to be one guy in particular who was working on a book about the exorcist or something and sharing his theory online in places like Reddit that he doesn't believe the demon who possesses Ragan, Ragan McNeil, not Ragan, the dead president, probably didn't need to specify that, is Pazuzu. He tries to make the case that the imagery of Pazuzu both in the book and the film is simply used to symbolize the demonic or create a sense of foreboding, but isn't meant to imply that Pazuzu is the possessing entity. Well, I guess my response to that would be a quote from Blatty himself. Strangely enough, even Blatty, the author of the book and writer of the screenplay, doesn't seem certain who the entity that possesses Ragan is, but he does seem to lean towards Pazuzu. So here's the quote. 
Even in terms of my novel, I have never known the demon's identity. I strongly doubt that he is Satan, and he is certainly none of the spirits of the dead whose identity he sometimes assumes. If I had to guess, I would say he is Pazuzu, the Assyrian demon of the southwest wind. But I'm really not sure. I know only that he's real and powerful and evil, and apparently one of many and aligned with whatever is opposed to love. And here's a passage from the prologue of the book. He sifted vibrations. At the palace of Ashurbanipal, he paused, then shifted a sidelong glance to a limestone statue hulking in situ. Ragged wings, taloned feet, bulbous jutting stubby penis, in a mouth stretched taut in a feral grin. The demon Pazuzu. Abruptly he sagged. He knew it was coming. He stared at the dust, quickening shadows. He heard dim yappings of savage dog packs prowling the fringes of the city. The orb of the sun was beginning to fall below the rim of the world. He rolled his shirt sleeves down and buttoned them as a shivering breeze sprang up. Its source was southwest. He hastened towards Muzzle and his train, his heart encased in the icy conviction that soon he would face an ancient enemy. And as a fan of beat literature, I have to read this excerpt from William S. Burroughs' Cities of Red Night. Pazuzu, lord of fevers and plagues, dark angel of the four winds with rotting genitals, from which he howls through sharpened teeth over stricken cities. Just love that. All right, I think that's enough about Pazuzu. I didn't plan on going on that long about it. But hey, ancient demonic entities, kind of my passion. But finally, let's move on to MythCon, and many of you might be wondering what the hell is MythCon. Well, I believe it's short for Mythicist Conference or something like that. It was a recent event put on by an organization called Mythicist Milwaukee. I'm not sure how old the organization is exactly, but they came to my attention about a year or so ago. Well, I just looked it up. It looks like it was founded back in 2013, and frighteningly enough, if Wikipedia is to be believed, they were inspired by the movie Zeitgeist in the work of Acharya S. Pazuzu, give me strength. Well, in fairness to Acharya, Acharya supposedly encouraged them to research the topic for themselves, and they have hosted some good debates and lectures featuring more reputable mythicists like Richard Carrier. And okay, my take on Richard Carrier, outside the realm of scholarship, he's a cringe-inducing train wreck. If you want to uh, subject yourself to it, Google all the online drama surrounding him. But as a scholar, I really respect him and enjoy his lectures. I myself am still on the fence regarding mythicism, but I nevertheless find Carrier's work to be really well-researched. And some of you might be wondering just what the hell is a mythicist? Well, mythicism, as I understand it, usually refers to the Christ myth theory. The idea that there never was a historical Jesus and that the concept or story of Jesus is based on pre-existing or neighboring myths, stories of various dying and rising gods, etc., there's also this strange concept or theory that sounds batshit crazy, but that serious scholars like Carrier lend credibility to. This idea that some celestial mythic figure named Jesus existed long before the quote-unquote historical Jesus and underwent some kind of drama in the heavens or as some refer to it, outer space. It's something that I honestly don't know that much about, which is why I've been wanting to do an episode on it for a while now. I'm looking forward to the research the episode will require. 
Mythicist Milwaukee's own website seems to define mythicism a bit differently. Here's what it has to say. What is a mythicist? A person who views various supernatural figures of antiquity, including both pagan gods and major modern-day religious characters, as mythical, or someone who perceives certain religious characters as mythical and sharing the same stories as the gods, godmen, and heroes of other cultures. And I don't know if this next bit is kind of like their mission statement, but says, Who is Mythicist Milwaukee? Mythicist Milwaukee is a secular organization focused on promoting dialogue about culture, religion, and freedom of thought. Our origin started with an interest in studying the mythicist position, but today we're much more than that. We host annual conferences, religious debates, and weekly local meetups, produce an iTunes Top 100 podcast in the religion and spirituality category, our co producing a feature-length documentary film, provide live broadcast services for other national secular gatherings, and much more. We want to inspire you to question, to inspire you to dig deeper, to find the origins of the beliefs shared by many all over the world today, by showcasing commonalities between world religions. Mythicist Milwaukee strives to contribute to a world free from religious oppression and bigotry. Okay, so in the short amount of time I've been aware of them, I found myself viewing the organization as a bastion for scholarly debate, etc. I think it was last year that they featured that debate between Bart Ehrman and Robert M. Price, uh, two people I have a lot of respect for. What got people talking this year is that they reached outside the realm of scholarship and invited some controversial high-profile YouTubers to speak, namely Sargon of Akkad, a.k.a. Carl Benjamin, Armored Skeptic, and the adorable Shoe on Head. Being a non-believer and a YouTube junkie slash YouTuber myself, I'm well aware of all three of these people. I guess I'll work my way backwards, starting with Shoe on Head. Shoe on Head, Shoe for short. Her real first name is June. Not sure about her last name, but it doesn't really matter. I really like her. I can't think of anything bad to say about her. She's cute and funny, almost like a cartoon character come to life. She does these really entertaining little videos. Some people might find her controversial because she often targets the ultra-PC, far-left crowd. Although, like many YouTube skeptics, uh, despite her criticism of the far-left, I believe she herself is left-leaning, as am I. Armored Skeptic is actually Shoe on Head's boyfriend and a very popular YouTuber. What I like about Armored Skeptic is that, unlike a lot of other YouTube skeptics, he's someone that still produces pro-science slash atheist content, videos debunking flat earthers, etc. He does a lot of the anti-so-called SJW stuff too, but I appreciate that he offers some of that more traditional skeptic fare. A lot of people in the so-called skeptic community have supposedly gotten sick of talking or hearing about atheism. I, on the other hand, have not, which is probably evident judging by my own content. Armored Skeptic is also pretty laid back, no yelling or bombast. He's not immune to YouTube drama, however. Uh, it wasn't that long ago he was taking heat from other YouTube skeptics, including a high-profile YouTuber named Logic, for suggesting they were copying his style. So finally, Sargon of Akkad, without doubt the most controversial of the three. Sargon's real name is Carl Benjamin, and no, I'm not doxing him, he often goes by his real name now. Now, I remember when I first discovered Sargon a few years back, I was really impressed by his content. I think I still have a Sargon of Akkad playlist on my YouTube channel. 
To be honest, I kind of lost interest or became disillusioned with him around the time of last year's presidential election. His relentless pro-Trump stance really turned me off. As I think I mentioned at the time, uh, something didn't really sit well with me regarding people like Sargon and Stefan Molyneux, neither American citizens, by the way, using their wide-reaching influence to push for Trump. Don't get me wrong, I have listeners from all over the world, some who I now consider friends, and I think people should be free to discuss foreign affairs, and I myself often discuss stories coming out of Britain. But as an American who saw this buffoonish, egomaniacal reality star and failed businessman running for the highest office in the land, I didn't appreciate people like Molyneux and Sargon playing chicken with our presidency, so to speak. But it's not like I've written off Sargon. I still have that Sargon playlist up on my channel, and I still stop in and check out his live streams and his original content. So to get back on course, there were people who didn't take kindly to these controversial YouTubers getting invited to the conference. I think both Aaron Ra and Seth Andrews ended up backing out. The only thing I really found weird about it is that Sargon, Armored, and Shu, with the exception of Armored maybe, don't even really talk about religion anymore. So what's the sense in inviting them to a mythicist conference? Some more cynical types have already suggested that they probably invited them to help boost interest, which is probably at least partly true. In fairness, I think I did see an interview someone from the organization did with Sargon leading up to the conference, and the person seemed to be genuinely enthusiastic about Sargon and his content, so some of the organizers may really have been sincere in their admiration or interest. So the biggest train wreck moment of the conference came when someone named Thomas Smith interviewed Sargon. You can find the whole exchange on Sargon's YouTube channel. It's something to behold. It was supposed to be an interview, but it turned into more of a massively cringe-inducing debate, and I honestly didn't think there was a winner. I found Thomas Smith, who I had never heard of previously, to be highly unpleasant and unlikable, a relatively young guy. I think I described him as looking like PewDiePie and Ewan McGregor's douche baby. I actually like PewDiePie and Ewan McGregor, but he looks like they had a kid. <laughs> and I found Smith to be overly indignant and combative. And on the other hand, I didn't really think Sargon necessarily handled himself well either. A big part of the exchange revolved around something that went down with Sargon about a year ago or so. There's this British member of parliament named Jess Phillips, fairly young in her 30s, I think, very far left, kind of an ultra PC type. She was pushing for some kind of anti-online bullying campaign, and I guess Sargon thought it, it was too far-reaching. Now, apparently Jess Phillips is a sexual assault survivor. According to her own account, which she shared publicly, she was in a bar or something when she was really young, maybe 19 or 20. Uh, supposedly some guy pinned her against the wall and forced his hand up her skirt, and when she fought back, she was kicked out for defending herself. Now, I believe Sargon was aware of this, but I think he thought she and others were exaggerating or inflating supposed online threats, so in his mind, in an attempt to try to make a point, he thought it would be a good idea to tweet at her saying something to the effect of, I think this is actually verbatim, at Jess Phillips, I wouldn't even rape you. Now, he admits unrepentantly that it was a horrible thing to say, but he claims it was to make a point that if he tweeted something that wasn't a threat, she or her ilk would find a way to spin it as if it were a threat. 
Um, not the approach I would have taken, both ethically and practically. My advice is, as a general rule of thumb, don't tweet rape comments at people. So a big portion of the clash between Smith and Sargon was over this. I think if Smith could have kept his cool, they could have had a productive conversation, but he went on the offensive instead of conducting himself like a level-headed interviewer, and the whole thing was a mess. My problem with Sargon is, I can understand not liking Jess Phillips, thinking she has some overly politically correct agenda, but why not just show an ounce of humanity and say it probably wasn't right trolling a sexual assault survivor about rape? Even if he doesn't want to back down from the point he was supposedly trying to make, at least say I have sympathy for her as a victim of sexual assault or something, but he seemed completely remorseless or devoid of empathy or the milk of human kindness. Once again, shit show all around. But I guess I'll leave it there. So it was kind of a Fertile Crescent episode. We had a Pazuzu and then Sargon of Akkad. Um, but you guys know the drill. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube. You can subscribe to the show via iTunes or Podbean or Stitcher. If you want to help the show monetarily, you can use the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page. There's all that alliteration. Or you can go to patreon.com slash theweekendout and help the show out for as little as 99 cents a month. Uh, and if you do that, Pazuzu will thank you. Uh, but okay, brothers and sisters, until next time.